This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk,、yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And we are so excited to check in with you on this beautiful Wednesday or whenever it is that you're <laughs> listening to it. Um, we, we were talking, we were like, we do a terrible job of updating you guys on what's going on. And just like, we usually we jump right into the topic. So we want to do a better job of just kind of letting you know what's going on. And what made me think about it was Judy has some really exciting news that I want to make sure that she shares with everybody. And, uh, so yeah, tell us your news from this week and then we can just kind of give some updates on what's going on with us. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that we don't. Do a great job of just sharing updates. And I think some people like that. So I, I definitely agree. So I, I'm working on a lot of projects behind the scenes, but one big one that I've been meaning to do is to get certified by Dr. Shoemaker.、Um, and he has two different tracks you could do. And I did the proficiency partner certification. And so now I'm an official、uh, Sir Shoemaker proficiency partner. And I guess the certification really just validates that. I know about the SERS protocol, the Shoemaker protocol, and that I'm a provider, I guess, within that realm of stuff. And I am helping so many people from carnivore that may have SERS. And there's only 15 of us that are proficiency partners or less than 20. So it's pretty cool. And now I'm part of their niche community.、Uh, they have a lot of conversations about one on one clients or patients that they're running into new medications, new treatments. And it's really cool to just be a part of it and be. Connected to all these doctors and providers that are doing everything in the SIR space to get people better. Yeah. And so I want to give some context too. So, you know, if you haven't heard a lot of content about SIRS, it's C I R S,、uh, which when you're hearing it, this doesn't sound like that's how it would be spelled,、yeah. but it stands for chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And let me see if I can lorify it and like explain it in my, my terms. Okay. And that's just by saying it is a genetic predisposition. 
to make like retaining biotoxins. Your body cannot properly flush out biotoxins, which means that you are almost like predisposed to being negatively affected by things like mold when like if there's mold in your house or you're surrounded by it or if something happens that triggers biotoxins in your body, it can't naturally flush it out. And so that's kind of a genetic thing. But through this, Dr. Shoemaker is kind of like the doctor um, who created this protocol to get rid of that. And so you're now, you know, validated by him and on his website and like listed as one of his, you know, practitioners and or somebody who's knowledgeable in this sort of space and that can be counted on for reputable information. Yes. The only thing I would add to what you said is that eventually that inability to get rid of the mold, the core essence of the illness is then it causes chronic inflammation and it just causes a basically an immune modulation just gets wonky. So then now your immune system is busily trying to get rid of mold. Another side is not even aware that there's mold and your overall body starts having an immune response. And the entire goal of SIRS is yes, one, get rid of the mold, get rid of whatever biotoxin your body cannot get rid of. But then also to then the next step is really to modulate the immune system. So just get it back to how it should properly function. And a lot of the non shoemaker mold practitioners are focusing on the first part of how do I get rid of the mold, but they're not thinking of but what about the chronic inflammation that's been in the body that now certain T reg cells or certain things in the immune system are now wonky? How do you start regulating that? And I think a lot of them use these band-aids to try to get you there, but it's not truly getting to the core issue of now your immune system is releasing certain things differently than it should be. And it's trying to rebalance that. And that's the ultimate goal of the SERS Shoemaker protocol. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, what is it? One in four people in the U.S. are thought to have SIRS. And so depending on how sick you are, you might not even know or might not even care. Um, you just might have that genetic gene, I guess, or whatever it's called. But there are a lot of people who end up really sick. And even it's even a higher percentage of people in the carnivore community because most people end up strict carnivore because they either have extreme negative relationship with food or they are extremely sick in a lot of ways. And so the people who come to carnivore because they're just really, really sick and are reacting to all these foods, we're seeing a huge percentage of people who are not healed from food alone that actually end up having SIRS. And so I know we have several different podcast episodes. If, if you're like eating very clean carnivore and you're still having a lot of issues and, you know, autoimmune issues, healing issues, like go listen to those other episodes. And that yes. might be something that you could dig in to look for that root cause um, of what's really going on. But that's, it's like a huge percentage of, of carnivores, you know, who are finding that this might be that their root cause issue. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say about SIRS, and we can move on from this, is that there's a part of me that feels not everybody has to figure out, do I have SIRS? Is that why I have a little more eczema on carnivore than somebody else? If you're not feeling well, and you know you're not doing well on a mostly carnivore diet, then you should consider maybe, and there's a whole process you have to go through to even figure out if you have SIRS. So go through the symptomology, do the vision test. And it's not cheap. Right. But if you're not that sick, I'm not sure if every single person that has SIRS needs to go and go down this path if you're not ready, if you're not financially able to. But if you're unwell, then I think it's absolutely something that can change your life and for the better. But if you're mostly carnivore and you're mostly better, then does it 
necessitate you to go down this path? I don't know. Like that's where I know some of the service providers will say, absolutely. You should absolutely try to get to the A level of health. You know, just centuries ago or even 50 to 100 years ago, no one knew about SIRS. And so, but 25% of the population had it. And so it just comes down to you have to find that balance that makes sense for you. Yes, do not live in a moldy building. I don't care if you're the 25%, I don't care if you're the 75%. No one should be living in a moldy building or a water damaged building. But beyond that, if your health is relatively okay, don't go try to biohack into SIRS. I think that's my whole point of if you're just. Yeah. You have like one small ache or one small thing. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to go and do SIRS because I really think it's a big, big change in your life to go down this path. It could truly be so healing, but you have to be willing to do it. And if you're only kind of sick, that already concerns me of, are you even going to go down the full path? And was it a waste of money to even just go halfway? Yeah. It really just depends on like how sick are you and what can you live with? What maybe adjusting your diet is enough for some people. And for some people, it's just not. And they're still at rock bottom, even with adjusting their diet. And that's when they need to go down that rabbit hole, you know, more so than just, like you said, people who aren't really sick enough for them. Right. Right. Yeah. So interesting. And I'm so excited too, just in general, I know this has been a huge project for you and, and you've been working really hard. So yay, congratulations. Well, thank you. I know it's exciting. I, I just want to always help people get to root cause and I don't know if this episode is going to come out before my, oh, I don't think it is. I just recorded a video on like my summation of the last 300 episodes that I've recorded on Nutrition with Judy's channel. And it's a lot about this, a lot of trying to find root cause, but being balanced, finding what works for you, what makes sense for you. And what we see a lot on this channel of um, being consistent. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, lessons learned along the way that I've had. And I think there's no one way to get people to healing. There's so many, but Um, but dogma is never part of the answer of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely been my message for a long time, just to ignore a lot of the crazy and figure, you know, how (laughs) you can live every day to day life and like, what kind of life do you want to live? Right, right. And then you've been recording a lot. Oh, girl, I (laughs) have committed to doing at least two YouTube videos a month for the rest of the year. And while like normal YouTubers, whatever that means, put out like two or three videos a week, like, no, I have never consistently put out two videos a month ever. Um, and that's just a lot of time for me and like a lot of effort. Like I'm not used to thinking of ideas. I've made a Chris as a task of like, he has to think of 10, which started off with me and him both, but I can't keep up with it. We have to write down 10 ideas for videos a day. And then like we sit and discuss it and we're like, what can we, what, can, you know, obviously like most of them are, are crappy ideas, but every once in a while we get an idea. Um, but it's just, it's actually a lot. Like, obviously I work a full-time job. And so trying to put out consistent YouTube comment has, or content has been really hard. Um, but I think, you know what, I've been pulling back so much from Instagram lately, just because I, it's draining to me, um, like mentally, you also find that with stories, you're putting so much effort and time into like stories and they're gone after 24 hours and like they expire. And then you, maybe I spent like five minutes, which just doesn't sound like a lot of time, but maybe I spent all this time uploading like me talking about a specific topic. Well, it expires. And like literally the next day I get like eight people ask comments on the same thing that I had just invested all this time in the day before. And it's like, it's hard to do that when everything disappears so quickly. And I certainly don't blame anybody for not keeping up with everything. I don't think you should go and have to watch all this content for no reason, you know, when you don't even know if it's going to apply to you. So YouTube is just such a better way to 
have specific videos and people can go watch what yes. what applies to them and they're not wasting their time just like scrolling through random people's stories and I kind of am trying to not encourage that as much um and the other thing is just like you know it's been busy it's been really busy so I'm trying to do YouTube and then also if I have time to spend on social media I'm spending it in locals right I have that locals community where I post every day for free like Anybody who's in there can see my morning post, which is where I feel like if I'm going to spend 10 or 15 minutes like crafting some kind of message or something that I want to share with people, that's where it ends up being every morning rather than like posting another selfie of me with a plate of meat, which is probably what the last thing on my page is right now. Like it's what I post regularly on Instagram. But so I'm doing those daily posts and then I do live streams every week for supporters and like, you know, just it's just where I would rather spend my time when I have limited time. I'm trying to spend time with the kids, obviously, and my job and all these normal things. And then I've committed to doing YouTube videos. So it's like if I have extra time, I just find myself being called to the locals platform because it's just so much more positive. And um, yeah. it's also people who are like working really hard to change and to improve themselves. And if I can help people, I would rather do it there where they've you know, invested their time and money to like learn to get better and heal and support this other community versus like random people, like comments and DMs. And, you know, how many times you and I talk with all the time, you spend all this time answering this really long DM and giving this thoughtful response. And then like, they don't even read it or nothing, you know, like, I don't know, it's just such a waste. So I would much rather be spending time with a place where people, you know, this, this is a priority YouTube and then locals and Instagram is just slowly falling down and down on my priority list. It's just, it's not as fun for me anymore. It, I mean, it makes so much sense. I mean, when you're in locals, you're with a community of like-minded people that um, also support you. And when you share content there, there's less judgment and it's, it could be more real and honest. And I think that's also good. I mean, you're right. It takes a lot of time and that's why I put on that auto responder, which I know is annoying people, but I mean, I'm sorry, I have a full time practice. And I mean, as you said, I, th I think almost every content creator does it full time except for you. And, and then as I got busier, I can't answer all the questions. I cannot, it's impossible. I'm also trying to do books and other. Well, and I, I also get like simple, easy questions like, you know, how do you poop and what color is your <laughs> eyeshadow? And where does, you know, where did you get your um, rack that you put your meat on? You're getting very complicated health questions that are you, you knowing you, you take the time and the thoughtfulness and you try to respond to those things. So it's like you answering one DM is like very long process. When for me, it's like, where did you get your shirt? Or like, what kind of sunglasses do you have? Or, you know, what kind of do you ever eat eggs? Like mine are very simple questions. Not true. I've seen your messages. <laughs> I've seen messages that come to both of us for cutting against the grain and they're not short and you still take the time. So I know you're totally downplaying it, but when you have locals, it's just easier to filter through people that may muddy up the comments and you could get good content. It just makes more sense. And I get it. And I think a lot of people are kind of moving away from Instagram in that way. So I get it. And I'm still in jail and they still filter. Um, they still censor a lot of information. So yeah. And I can go on a rant in locals or like, I just <laughs> feel like I can talk so much more openly because I don't have then people reacting to everything that I say, even like right. this platform. How many times has like people who don't follow us, people who have nothing to do with us, like take something that we say here out of context and then like make a post about it or talk about it or like just, it's just so frustrating sometimes that it's nice to just have this space where like, 
you know, nobody outside of my people are listening and I can just be a lot more open. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's smart. It's, it's good. Yeah. Anyway. Um, we want to talk about bugs today. I know. So this is another question. This kind of stems, I get messages regularly about how are you prepping? Are you stocking up? Like, what are you doing, you know, with the meat regulations that are coming down? And I think that, you know, we're going to have different episode, probably before this one, about the new regulations and some of the things that are coming out from the government itself. But it is always a concern, like what happens when you can't find meat. We went through this in 2020. Meat prices were rising. They were limiting how much meat you can buy at the grocery store. We see plant-based proteins being pushed. Um, That's where the government is investing resources. You know, you had sent me a graphic the other day of this like plant-based chart for how kids are supposed to eat on what does a plant-based my plate look like, which is insane. And one of the other things that keeps coming up over and over again is like cricket protein. (laughs) Um, I watch Shark Tank, like too much Shark Tank. And it's, it actually drives me insane because all the only products that they push on there from a protein perspective are all plant-based proteins. And like, you know, several of the sharks on there are plant-based. They always all talk about calories and cholesterol and low sodium. And they always are having some kind of seaweed chip or plant protein. And they've had several different like cricket protein powders on there, cricket protein bars. Like it's kind of ridiculous. And it also makes it seem like that's what's being pushed now is, you know, if people are going to start rejecting the soy proteins, like maybe we'll move into like ground up cricket proteins, um, which technically is an animal. Is that an animal protein? Is an insect protein? I don't know. Nathaniel could clarify me on if it's animal or insect is probably not considered an animal. Um, So I wouldn't call it carnivore according to my six-year-old. But I don't know. What are your thoughts, Judy? When I did research on just plant-based proteins, so I guess soy, pea protein, there's a lot of studies and I'll put one in the links, but um, there's one that shows that there's a lot more heavy metals in plant-based proteins. So for that alone, it's probably not ideal to be eating too many plant-based proteins. And then I did a lot of research on pea proteins, just it's not natural in terms of the, the way the overall makeup of peas are, and then the actual pea protein, the nutrients are not one in the same. And so there's got to be some finagling of the nutrients to make it the way it is. So that's just some of it. But crickets, I guess, I don't know the history of why they think crickets is such a power food, but it is the new trend. And I really wanted to talk about some of the pros and cons of eating crickets, which and then we'll talk about, you know, why are we even talking about this? So Crickets shows that it's been historically eaten in other countries for eons. And so I guess it's kind of normal. And maybe if we looked into the history of it, maybe there was some economics, right? Maybe they're really poor countries that they really have not much to eat. If you talk about your show alone, I mean, one of the guys was eating a rat or like a mouse or something. So yeah. Um, I think when you have very little means, crickets seem appealing. But just from the research, they are rich in protein, but they're not easily digestible. So there's ways to measure protein digestion. You could use a scoring system called PDCAS. There's one called DIAS, but it's like the governmental regulations of how to rate what protein absorption is. And uh, it's been rated that crickets are not as easily absorbed as eggs, beef and dairy. And so it's not as high on the list, even though there's a pretty decent amount of protein. And I think the digestion score is rated around the same as rice and corn. And we don't think of rice and corn as proteins. So that's already one flaw of that. 
Well, I'm pretty sure that vegans count like brown rice or quinoa and other types of grains as a protein source. Um, That's true. So I, it depends on who you are. None of us would who understand what um, <laughs> actual bioavailable protein sources are, but they definitely tout crickets as being like high in fiber and vitamins and minerals and like all of, you know, obviously protein, but then they consider it's very well-rounded with even saying that it has fiber, which I think in the carnivore community, we understand that you don't need fiber and a lot of us do so much better without it. Um, so it's interesting. Again, the any type of animal or plant-based protein they're constantly looking for ways to like add more fiber to things. Right. Crickets have this exoskeleton system, which I think that's part of the fiber. But from my understanding, it's that while there is a lot of fiber because of the exoskeleton shell, it makes a lot of the, the nutrition from the, the bug uh, less absorbable. So a lot of times they recommend actually getting rid of the exoskeleton and then there isn't as much fiber, then it's mostly protein. And but then what is even left? You're talking about a cricket. <laughs> I mean, I live, I grew up in Indiana and we had a basement, like an underground basement. We had some like big old fat, juicy crickets. And even then, if you took off that exoskeleton, like what would be left would be like a third the size of my pinky nail. Like there's just not like, right. how are you even, it's just crazy to think that that's harvested as a protein source. Yeah. So I guess maybe it's the more fiber you eat, the fuller you'll, you'll get, right? Or the bloat you'll feel in your gut. And so maybe that's why people don't need as much to feel full. But if you were to really want to ideally get absorbed, uh, nutrient absorption and the protein, you want to take off that skin at the shell. And then of course that goes back to, well, then what do you have left in your right? That exoskeleton contains something called chitin, which I don't know exactly what that is, but it um, causes inflammation. There is research studies that show that it can change your epithelial cells, which then can cause more like leaky gut, for example. And again, I'll put that in the notes, but I don't, I think a lot of the powders do not remove the exoskeletons shell. So then it's a question of, so then are you absorbing the nutrients because there's so much of that fiber? And then even if you're getting fiber, is it even that beneficial when it's has this like toxin in it, that chitin, if I'm even pronouncing it correctly, that causes inflammation. But if we were to look at the protein, by itself, what I found really interesting is that some crickets have the full protein amino acids, which will then consider it a complete protein. There are about nine essential proteins that we need from an, a food source. And, but then there are some crickets that don't have, or are very low in tryptophan and lysine. And a lot of us, we know a lot about tryptophan because it's, you know, it's that the, the sedative that we think of when we eat turkey or certain meats and tryptophan is also used to produce serotonin, that, that feel good hormone and then, or um, neurotransmitter. And then it also helps to produce melatonin with help, which helps us to sleep. So I found it so interesting that if plant-based people are eating, I guess, grains, which are very low in a certain amino acids, which for example, is the tryptophan and the lysine, but lysine is very, very deficient in grains. Three things that lysine does do for us, it may reduce anxiety by blocking stress response receptors, and it can help people that may have schizophrenia have less symptomatic behavior. Um, It could help with calcium absorption and retention, and then it can help wound healing by helping support more collagen within the body. If we think of a lot of the plant-based people, they're super high in anxiety and stress and they're not very calm, which that the whole tryptophan side does that for you. So I wonder if they're missing a lot of these amino acids that provide calm and relaxing um, and allowing you to sleep better and these other things. And that's all in crickets? 
So these are all lacking in crickets, uh, not all oh, crickets, oh, oh. but many. So these foods are lacking. So if a, I don't know, would plant-based people eat crickets? I don't think so. I don't think most, maybe a vegetarian <laughs> would. I mean, like, like I said, I, I think Nathaniel, who knows a lot of animals, would consider he would correct me and say they're not an animal, they're an insect. But I really don't think that like, here's the problem with this, like, practicality of cricket protein is that the meat eaters are not going to eat it because it's stupid and it's a bug. And then I don't even think that the vegans necessarily would eat it either. Maybe some vegetarians, Mm -hmm. but it's like alive and hopping around like it has a face on it. I can't even imagine them wanting to eat it either. I think it's really just... This isn't what you're talking about right now, but it's really just being pushed from like a save the planet sustainability angle that somehow this is, you know, going to be better than a lot of the plant proteins. But even let's think, I mean, we can circle back to this later, but even just thinking about the production that has to happen to like raise, grow, harvest, dry, remove the exoskeleton, grind it up, you know, like that's just a, a huge commercial output. Or, you know, that's going to be, it's not like it's a, you know, you're growing an apple tree and then you're picking an apple type of thing. Yeah. So there was a 2019 study that showed, um, I think they did research on 300 household insect farms. And of those insect farms, 81% of them had parasites. And then of those 81% that had parasites, 30, 35% had parasites that could cause human disease. So there are risks with that. And then as you mentioned, in terms of even harvesting these big, um, I guess, farms that would raise crickets. Yes, they say that there's organic versions. But I mean, crickets are I think their natural diet is grass. (laughs) It's almost this grass grain thing again. And there's been are you eating grass fed crickets? Or are you eating soy poofa grain finished factory farm crickets? That's going to be, watch six months from now, you're going to see Saladino make a post about it and talk about how he's only eating organic, farm-raised, natural, free-range crickets. No, but what's funny is they they showed that some of the the crickets that ate all these processed foods, so they had ones that were eating soy, ones that were eating corn, and then they had ones that were eating processed food, and it was just processed food leftovers, and those died before they could even be harvested. So it's not that simple. I get, I mean, we can talk about this in a second, but yeah, it's just not that simple to say, well, this is the answer for climate change because it really isn't. It, it, there's a lot more complexity. I mean, are you going to have crickets just raised in a lot of grass? And what if that grass was used for something else? It's an interesting thought because when people look at sustainability, they're looking at, you know, not they're not looking at scale. Like, how do you scale vegetables? They're saying like, oh, it saves the planet if we all have little backyard farms and we grow our vegetables. But when you're trying to mass produce natural organic vegetables or some of these meat-based or plant-based proteins like soy, the production and the commercialization that takes place, the, the carbon footprint is so much higher than something like beef, right? And so it's the same concept of like, you're looking at a carnivore diet and saying it's just so expensive. Well, you're looking at meal to meal. You're comparing spaghetti to um, a steak, which is always my example. But when you're looking at week over week, a carnivore diet is so much more inexpensive. The same thing at this carbon footprint, maybe you're looking at meal versus meal, what's coming, the carbon impact that that's having. But when you're looking at the whole cow and the carbon impact of a whole cow, which is very low, And how many people for how long can we feed with that one cow versus this vegetables trying to scale it in a large way to feed a lot of people and the amount that people would need to consume, like 
I don't know if that made any sense, but it just isn't the same as when you try to scale it. It's just not sustainable. Yeah, I think context always matters. And I mean, that that was a whole thing that I was thinking of, why are we even talking about crickets? Like, as you said, if, but, but still, who is the market for crickets? And that doesn't make sense to me. And as I looked into it, it's because in 2013, the United Nations released a report called the Edible Insects. It's called Edible Insects, Future Prospects for Food and Feed Security. So I guess that's where let's all move to these edible insects eating natural crickets. But if you, you know, as we talked about, these large scale insect farms require lots of water, lots of energy. And so if we were to think about, well, if these crickets can't even survive off of the corn, soy, food waste, crop residue, et cetera, then is this really even sustainable? And, and I mean, obviously there's a lot of controversy in the climate change space anyway, but it just makes no logical sense. And one thing that was concerning is when I was doing this research, it showed that in April of 2021, Biden released the conservation reserve program. And if you look at the fine print in that, it's paying farmers not to farm. They get more money to not right. farm than to farm. And then, you know, in 2022, there was during the summer, a lot of cows died uh, from overheat exhaustion, they said. But I mean, we don't really know. And it's just, there's this big push for climate change. And the UN is really pushing these smart cities where we live in these really high towers and we're kind of streamlined, like even these crickets. But um, it's not from a climate change argument, the response is not there. You would need to produce way more crickets they're naturally supposed to be on grass. So then if they're not, then if you're going to feed all this water and you're pulling it to areas that don't even have a lot of water, how is that even beneficial for the climate? Yeah, the there's an article that we were looking at, you know, before we wanted to record about this. And the heading says a six-legged solution to world hunger. And it's interesting because most people think about world hunger being like a lack of food. We do food drives for people. We do, you know, send money to other countries, third world countries to provide aid, to provide food. You're doing a sponsor, a child for 50 cents a day where you can provide food for them. It's not actually a lack of food that is causing hunger in the world. It is usually some type of government regulations. In some of these countries, they are not allowing trade. They are not allowing um, people to grow their own. It is, you know, usually tyrannical governments who are limiting what's happening. It's a very small percentage of the people who are actually starving to death from a lack of food that's available to them, right? It's maybe they're not being given it. They're, they, people don't have access to it. I think in the U.S., it's a lot of lack of quality food, right? A lack of nutrient-dense food. Unfortunately, we see the poorest communities that have the highest rate of obesity and diabetes because they're not getting access to quality sources of protein, you know, and even again, usually it's a government issue when you look at some of these third world countries where people are legitimately starving to death, right? But that's usually due to conflict and war and, you know, America going to war with certain countries and what's happening in Syria and we are bombing them and people are starving to death and we are starving them out because of the conflict that we are personally causing in that country. That gets like very political, but it's not because of a lack of food in the world, right? There is more enough food in the world. We're not looking for how do we grow food on Mars or how do we create food where there is none? You know, that's not the issue. And it's, it is interesting to see that studies that they cite 
to say this, like, it's just, we talk about this often, but like, you can find a study to say anything that you want. If you want to support a vegan diet, if you want to support a potato diet, if you want to support a carnivore diet, there are studies out there that are going to show that. And so it's just so important to take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture. And obviously that's not what we're talking about today, but the, this need to like find a new source for protein because people in the world are starving to death is just so misrepresented. No, you're right. I'm working on a project and I was looking at world hunger and a lot of the hunger is not that there's not enough food. It's that they don't have enough of the right nutrients. So they're nutrient poor and they're eating a poor diet. And right. the one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies is anemia. It's iron deficiency. And I, I can't even remember the facts, but it's horrendous. And so that's why Bill Gates is saying, so all the rich countries, because all the other poor countries are not going to give up their meat because already they're anemic as it is. So it should therefore be the rich countries that get rid of their animals and stop eating meat products because the other poor countries won't because they need those meats because they're mostly anemic and it's problem across the world. And it's not eating these crickets is going to resolve that. And I think the wealthy really know that. And so they're just trying to have, I guess, the Western populations that have an abundance of meat to cut down, but it's such misinformation. It it makes no sense to me when there's risks of parasites in these crickets. And, um, and then you have to also send excess water and energy and resources to these cricket farms to even have them survive. And they have to eat these perfect diets, otherwise they're going to die. So how is it benefiting climate? And then the exoskeleton, as you said, then what meat is left? And then even with the meat left, two of the amino acids that are essential for ideal health is gone. And then if you wonder about mental illness, and on top of that, there's no real fat on an, these crickets. So what fat are you going to use? Oh, perfect. The canola oil, the soybean oils. I mean, it's, yes, exactly. it's crazy. And one other thing that I didn't bring up is there's a warning that if you are sensitive to shellfish and dust mites, there's a high chance you're going to be also sensitive to eating cricket powder. It, it's just not enough people have eaten these things and they're just interjecting it into our, you know, I see these puff snacks that now have sustainable in their description. And then when you look at the back, they're using cricket flour. Well, what if you have a shellfish sensitivity and the parent doesn't look at that? It, it's just, it's really, really disappointing that they're pushing these foods that are not ideal for nutrition in so many different ways that we brought up today. We will probably do worse for the climate if we really push this cricket agenda. And then on top of that, we, w- we won't get proper nutrition. It, there's no way. And we are going to risk the increase in parasites. And if you think about what they do with parasites, a lot of times they may use antibiotics. And we're already creating all these antibiotic um, strains by overusing antibiotics. So imagine now people are getting a bunch of parasites in their system. And so they have to take more antibiotics. I mean, just imagine what will happen to all of us. Yeah. And that's just, I think, where the profit comes from. And like something like a cricket protein or a plant-based protein is just has such a huge profit margin because they're so cheap for them to make. And then if you look at a pound of ground beef versus a pound of, um, you know, an impossible burger or whatever the plant-based proteins are, soy tofu, the price is just astronomical difference, but then yet the the beef farmer is not getting near the profit margins, um, that the, all the plant-based stuff does. And the antibiotics, I didn't even think about the link to that. That's just such an interesting thought. And they're pushed so much, especially on kids. Like, oh my gosh, Penelope had I got her a new pair of like uh, spank or like I want to say spanks that like <laughs> leggings like spandex. There we go, spandex ish 
stretchy leggings to go under her gi for jujitsu because she was like doing takedowns and like her butt crack kept sticking out anyway. So I got Penelope. Now that's the clip is Laura's putting spangs on her. <laughs> no. um, but so I got her some like tight leggings to go under her gi so that she, you know, it would keep her pants on a little bit easier. And then she was like running around outside. It's like 120 degrees here or whatever. And so she was getting like a heat rash. Um, and so I took her to the, to the pediatrician or whatever, just to try to like, make sure it wasn't anything going on. She was getting some like, you know, almost like acne or whatever from this heat rash. And, um, they were like, oh yeah, it's probably nothing. It might, you know, it might be like folliculitis or it might be just like a little bit of heat rash or irritation. So here's an oral antibiotic that you can give her. And I was like, but is it infected? And they were like, no, no, no. And then I was like, so why does she need the antibiotic? They're like, just precautionary. I was like, this is why we don't go to the doctor. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, thank you. And I ended up taking her kind of person. I took her to a dermatologist and and asked him about it. And he was like, yeah, I wouldn't give my kid uh, oral antibiotics for this. Like, this is completely unnecessary. Right. Um, he was like, just, you know, here's a special wash that you can use, or here's what you, here's a couple of things that you guys can do. We were doing like Epsom salt bath. So she's taking like a little Epsom salt bath in the evenings and a couple of things like using some colloidal silver and a couple of things like that. So um, it's all good. But like, even the dermatologist was like, yeah, don't give kids get antibiotics too much as it is. So stop giving right. her antibiotics. That was it's just, they're definitely pushed, I think, because there's just such a profit on them. Yeah. And the risk is that the more and more we use them, we're going to create and not completing the full dosage of the antibiotics, which most people stop using. Once their ailment goes away, they stop right. taking the medication. And and then once they stop doing that, then these adverse or negative strains are going to proliferate and then antibiotics as we know it is not going to work. And then when we really need it for life and death situations, we're screwed when we don't have any more antibiotics that will work. And that's the part. That's yeah. I scary. think that's happening. We see that happening with all these other kinds of shots as well. Like, I mean, this is, you know, people love when we talk about vaccines, but like <laughs> there was a strain, like the most recent strain of COVID, the only people who are getting it are people who have never had COVID before. And people who are vaccinated. And it's just to, it's just to say that's exactly what it is. If you have had COVID from natural and you have natural immunities without having vaccines included, you are not getting the most current strain. And obviously we're gonna get a thousand comments for people angry about that statement. But it is true, like it's unless you've never had it before and you don't have any immunities, or unless you're vaccinated and you've opened yourself up to being more susceptible to that. Now we need another shot and another shot and another shot. And whether you know, I'm vaccinated for certain things and so are my kids. And I definitely believe in that, but it's the overuse of things. Um, and it's just knowing that more again, and this is not a situation where more is always better. Right. Right. No, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And I mean, this goes back to the episode of, um, critical thinking. It's just, we need to figure out, does it make sense? Because had I not been in the nutrition space, if my doctor said you should take antibiotics for my child, I would have done it before because I had no idea. Percent. I would have assumed that since my doctor is telling me to take this medication, therefore it must be true. And luckily um, that reminds me of when Aiden, he was one and he was crying. So we thought, oh, maybe he has an ear infection. And we went to our pediatrician and this was just right when I was getting into nutritional therapy school. And he says, oh, he needs antibiotics. He has an ear infection. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And, and my husband was worried. And so I said, fine, I'll just get a second opinion. We went to a second opinion and the doctor said, oh, I can't really tell, but yeah, I think it's safe to just take antibiotics. And I still said no. And so we finally found some other doctor and 
they really went into the ear and looked and he's like, no, there's just buildup, but he doesn't have an ear infection. And I was like, exactly. And so I would have given my one-year-old the antibiotics when he didn't need it because two of the doctors told me to get it. And they couldn't really see in his ear because my son was wiggling around so much. It's just, we are overly using it. And in certain situations, we need it. So that's one thing I'm not 100% with the full holistic wellness where people are like, no, absolutely no to most antibiotics. I think there are certain situations that are needed. And so I think it's a mistake to just say I'm against all antibiotics. For example, if you have a new Lyme bite, it's probably smart to get on a round of antibiotics to make sure that it doesn't get through your whole system. A lot of times doctors are humans and they are going to say something that's just safe in that moment, right? They're not thinking of, well, how is this going to impact Aiden when he's year 10, year 15? I just need to know that my patient came in, says their baby's crying, maybe they have an ear infection. So therefore the answer is antibiotics and they don't worry about the long-term downstream effects. And that's concerning. When I interviewed with um, Dr. Donald Lehman, he said, the moms that are feeding their children almond milk, uh, the, that lysine that I was talking about, all the deficiencies with the anxiety, with the schizophrenia, with the calcium absorption, the collagen production, almond milk is very, very deficient in lysine. And so he told me it would require, in order to get like eight ounces of regular milk, it would require a child to drink 30 ounces of almond milk with their mm-hmm. cereal. So assuming they're getting some of the protein even from their cereal to then balance that lysine. And you know, no child is drinking 30 ounces of almond milk. And That's expensive. I mean, let alone, right? just like it's not going to happen, but it's also just really expensive. I know. The other day I was at the grocery store and they were selling Ripple. I think it's a oat milk. So there's a Ripple yeah. that's just for regular adults. And it was three fifty for a quart, the same size for children. So they add some type of DHA and I don't even know how they add that, but it was $2.50 more for the same size. Wow. All just because of what they're putting into it. That's crazy. Right. And and it's not a quality milk. It's oat it's oat milk. Right. Which is has is carbs. I mean, like it's oatmeal. It's yeah. just a bunch of carbs that you're consuming. I know. So can you imagine what's going to happen to our next generation of children with mood imbalances, not even getting protein? So if assuming the calcium absorption isn't correct, how are they going to grow their bones? How are they going to get tall? How are they not going to have mental physical issues when we're pushing foods that nature never intended us to eat. But I think we already see that now with people like in our generation, like I'm in my, you know, late mid thirties. Can I say late? (laughs) Um, in my thirties, late ish thirties. Um, and I see a lot of people, so many people, you know, we were, a lot of us were raised when um, the canola oils and the processed foods all first came about and were f- first really getting started used. And all of our moms went to like low fat. And, you know, I remember eating like in college, I would get myself like a half gallon of skim milk and a box of Snackwell's cookies. And like, that was my snack. And so like, we were all raised on with a lack of animal fats and reducing animal proteins. And I think we see that like, you know, millennials are already have a lot of stigma for being emotional and needing antidepressants and like all this terrible stuff that we deal with. And I think it's just then we're the ones all that have these little kids now. And then imagine what we're feeding our kids is a lot of this convenience processed foods. Now it's just like such high sugar. And in a lot of ways too, I mean, this gets like really down a rabbit hole, but the body positivity movement has now limited us from reducing fat with anything. But instead of actually using high quality animal fats, we're just 
tons of sugar and pizzas and like all kinds of processed foods and carbs. And there's just no limiting. There's no conversations about like what's healthy food for kids and what's a healthy weight. And, you know, I heard this woman talking the other day about how she's like trying to get her kid to eat healthier. And she's just like, I'm trying to talk to her about like fruits and vegetables and how she needs to eat healthy and like, you know, fruits and vegetables and fruits and vegetables. And like that somehow works feeding kids like tons of fruit and juice and um, worried about if they're eating enough vegetables, but nobody's worrying about if their kids are getting enough protein or not. I know. And part of the issue too, is that I think the updated my food plate doesn't really show protein as meat. It'll show maybe eggs, maybe a little bit of milk. Yeah, but it'll show plant-based proteins. And so that's, that's the problem. When I spoke with Dr. Donald Lehman, he said, we cannot look at proteins as a protein. We do not have a need for protein. We have a need for amino acids. And if mm. you break down proteins, that's where plant-based diet proteins are really, really, they're not as beneficial as when you're eating meats because the amino acids of any meat you eat, they're they're there, all the essential ones we need. But when you come to plant-based proteins, that's where the nuances matter. We are not deficient of proteins. We are deficient in amino acids. And it is he said the perfect example he said in my interview was he said, we're not taking a vitamin supplement for the supplement, we're taking it for the vitamins. So we need to start really enumerating what vitamins we need and how and what amount. And we need to do that for our amino acid needs. And then when we do that, that's when plant based proteins are going to show their weaknesses. And, and so I asked him, well, once they realize that, and if we do shift to an amino acid model, won't they start trying to just add certain amino acids to then balance it out? And he's like, they might, but it's still better than just drinking almond milk that doesn't have enough lysine. I already see that in the space. Uh, we were trying to buy keto yogurt. I think I was curious, how are they getting this to be a keto product with fat? Did they leave in more buttermilk? And then I looked at the back and they make it fattier by adding seed oils. So they added canola oil or something and it's a keto yogurt. It looks super safe. Is that the same one that we give our kids? No, no, it's not. Okay, <laughs> it's not okay. that one. It's not that one. I'm like, is that the one that I use? I know. I know. <laughs> okay. And 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 I see it everywhere. So then I saw another keto ice cream, and I was like, oh, I'm curious. Like one of them's a light, and one of them's keto. And I was like, oh, what's the difference? I was just curious. And then the fat is another soybean oil or a sunflower oil. I forgot which one they yeah. use. Now they're pushing keto, but with seed oils. I just saw, and maybe we need to do a podcast on it, but. I think it was Jenny Craig's or Weight Watchers. It was one of those big dieting and they have created an intermittent fasting product line. An inner, what do they mean? Like electrolytes or what? No, no. So I guess they will incorporate a fasting in that product line, meaning that you eat this and then you fast for a certain amount of time. And I guess, and that's the part I haven't looked into much of what is in that shake, for example, before they fast, but supposedly oh. these specific products will allow you to be satiated for longer so that you can then fast. And so because they're saying intermittent fasting is becoming so popular, they they created this product line for intermittent fasters. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's unfortunate like how much slapping a label of keto or fasting or heart healthy or all of these different labels because the majority of us are not digging into content. We are not looking at nuance. We're not reading the labels everywhere we go. And we're simply just trying to live our we have very busy lives. And we're trying to live our lives and do the best that we can and feed our people, you know, families healthy. And so that's why we're grabbing things that say heart healthy or right. keto or which just like, you know, 
I've fallen yeah. guilty of that in the past as well. And then you get it home and you like, that's why I was scared about the yogurt. I'm like, have I actually looked at the back of the label that I get for that yogurt? I just see other, I know, but, <laughs> but it is interesting that like, even we fall guilty of that sometimes as well, um, because we're just trying to live lives and nobody has time to obsess about everything. And nor do I think that you have to, it's about doing the most that you can with kind of like the bigger things. But it is interesting, the shift that we see of people trying to capitalize, you know, and I, I truly, truly believe that's why, and this is not even what we're talking about, but that carnivore is never going to go extremely mainstream because there are not enough products to sell that give you enough profit in the carnivore space. You can't have a bunch of products and label them and consider it carnivore. And it's just not, it's a lot of the reason why I think it will never catch on in the mainstream. Well, my hope is, and this is where I, my, my beacon of hope and light for carnivore is fine. Let's not go the mainstream route of, Hey, this is a cool diet. Try it. We're not going to get people that are dietitians that are having their patients struggle with mental illness. Try it unless they bought into the other narrative. But what if we approach the people that are unwell? So I, I think if we were to do carnivore plus fibromyalgia, carnivore plus chronic illness, chronic uh, carnivore plus some other illness, and right. we can then target the providers that are not able to get their patients better. I think that's where we can have a movement, right? So if enough people that are super, super sick start healing and their way of healing is with a carnivore or a meat only diet, that's yeah. the way I think we can really start getting it into maybe it's through the hospitals and getting uh, providers through studies showing that a carnivore diet can heal. And then that's what I'm honestly trying to work for with SIRS is if I can prove that carnivore, the markers for certain inflammatory numbers are lower for these autoimmune illnesses or inflammatory illnesses, they are lower for somebody that follows a carnivore diet. Well, that's enough data to say, well, then if someone's struggling with an autoimmune that you don't know what it is, but their TGF beta, some of these markers are high, then put them on a carnivore diet because it shows in the data that it works. And so that is my hope. And that's why I think it's so easy and almost acceptable to pitch carnivore as an elimination diet and why I use like your book carnivore cure so often. It almost is like this low stress way or like, you know, without, I had, I I think I've mentioned on here before, like I have a friend who was trying carnivore and all her family and friends and everybody was like getting really like anxious about her when she was saying it. And she kind of just phrased it as like, look, I have a severe autoimmune condition. I'm going to do carnivore as an elimination diet to just see what foods are affecting me. And then they all went, oh, okay. But like, if you tell somebody I'm going to, or you tell somebody you should go carnivore, you should eat only meat forever and never eat vegetables. People like a lot of people can't mentally handle that. And then also they just aren't going to try it or too many people react negatively to it. But simply saying, I'm doing this as an elimination diet just to see what foods affect me, uh, I think is really key. And you and I talk all the time about how we don't, most people are not going to be carnivore forever, nor do they need to be. And so starting with that baseline is really helpful. And then adding you know, adding foods back in with what you can handle and what makes you feel good. Yeah. I mean, you and I know that so much of diet and healing and weight loss is really around psychology. A a lot of it is. So a lot of my talking to clients, there's a lot of therapy there. And I think when we tell somebody, sorry, the only way you're going to heal is if you eat meat forever, it becomes so daunting of, is that even a life worth living? And, And so I get that. So if I phrase it as, 
just do it for 30 days. And then you can see where we are and we can revisit and refocus and do other things. And I think that is so beneficial. And as I've worked with so many carnivore clients that are really unwell, I really have come to believe you don't have to do carnivore forever. If you're healing, then you can add certain things back in and it should be okay. And if you can't add things back in, so let's say it's, I can only do beef, I can only do chicken and then I'm okay. Or I can only do this and that, and then I'm okay. That's a Band-Aid. That's 100% a Band-Aid. If you can only eat certain things and then that's the only way you're subsisting or feeling a little bit better than when you're eating carbs, that is not ideal. That's a Band-Aid. You should be able to eat all the animal-based products, maybe not dairy fine, but the eggs, the chicken, pork, fish, etc. And then if you occasionally want to have some seasoning, maybe it's not lectins, maybe it's not oxalates, but generally if you can, that should be okay. And if you can't, I would look deeper. And so that's where I think carnivore long-term may not be necessary. If you want to do it for optimal health, fine. I think if people are using it as a band-aid, either they haven't worked on their eating disorder or if they haven't worked on getting to root cause healing and you have to use carnivore for those two reasons, I think it's a band-aid. And I will stand and stand firm on that because one, I had an eating disorder. And then two, a lot of my carnivore clients that could only eat a regimented certain kind of food at a certain time, cut in a certain way, cooked in a certain way, yeah. as they're finding SIRS or finding their root cause, they can eat vegetables and they are amazed. Not that they necessarily want to eat vegetables, but they can, and they never thought they could. So always, always, always get to root cause. And we do not need to eat crickets for our longevity or uh, for climate change. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we got to go. Judy's got to pick up her kids. I got to get back to work. We love you guys. Don't eat crickets. That's the message of today. Find what works for you. Yes, yes. Talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.